Are you tired of scrolling your feed only to see the highlight reel version of motherhood? If so, then you're in the right place. Welcome to the Motherhood Intended Podcast. I'm your host, Jacqueline Baird, and I'm a passionate mom here to support women like you in their unique journeys to and through motherhood. I have been through it all. We're going to be talking about things like trying to conceive, infertility, IVF, surrogacy, mom life, and more. It's time to get real about what it takes to be a mom and come together in the fact that things don't always go as planned. So here we go. Hey everyone, welcome back. Before I dive in, I've had a lot of listeners ask about our surrogacy journey. So to give a quick update, we are 10 weeks along. Our surrogate is doing very well. Baby is growing right on schedule, has a very strong heartbeat, and is just wiggling around. I'm almost afraid to say it out loud because it seems like unreal to me, but we are very excited and the next appointment is in a few weeks, so we will keep you updated. And for those wondering, we have still not yet told our sons about the pregnancy. We have not gone there yet and I'm not sure what the right answer is yet. We are just still waiting. We're kind of living in like our own little bubble of excitement right now and that feels right. So maybe in the second trimester, we will feel like it's time to do that. Maybe the 20-week anatomy scan, we will feel like the moment is right. I'm not sure. I will keep you updated, but thank you as always for all of the well wishes, prayers, positive vibes. It is felt and so, so appreciated. So in today's episode, we talk about how alcohol isn't going to fix the systemic lack of support for mothers. And pretending it's a solution to surviving motherhood does more harm than good. I'm joined by Celeste Yvonne, a sober mom advocate, writer, and certified recovery coach, well known across social media as the Ultimate Mom Challenge. She's an author of her new book, It's Not About the Wine, The Loaded Truth Behind Mommy Wine Culture, and has been featured in the Washington Post, Good Morning America, and Refinery29. In this episode, we discuss how to start your sober journey, female drinking, what are we doing to ourselves, and why are we doing it, how mommy wine culture distracts us from the real issue, getting support for mothers who are truly struggling. I know this episode will be relatable to a lot of moms. If you had little ones in the pandemic, I especially know this is going to hit home for you as it does me. So be sure to give it a listen all the way to the end. Click the links in the show notes. Take that next step if it feels right for you. I promise this will give you a fresh perspective on drinking in motherhood. I know it did for me, and I'm here to support anyone who can relate to this episode. Take a listen. Hi, Celeste. Thank you so much for joining me on the show today. Hey, Jacqueline. Thank you for having me. Yeah, absolutely. I was very excited to come across your Instagram and your new book. It's not about the wine. I'm very intrigued and interested by the work that you're doing. Um, I have a lot of questions surrounding the mommy wine culture and just female drinking in general. And I know a lot of moms listening can relate. Um, but before we kind of dive into all that, I know that you are four or five years sober. So let's take it back to the beginning. And I would love to learn more about you. Yeah. I mean, I, I've always kind of had a, Probably you could call it toxic relationship with alcohol in that I grew up uh, understanding that most people drink alcohol and I wanted to be like most people. <laughs> so, yeah, um, I went to college and I was a, a partier as were most. But I also had a father who was an alcoholic. So I kind of had this understanding that most people can handle their booze and a few people can't. And my dad was one, but 
that wasn't going to be my story. And I was going to take the lessons I learned from his mistakes and make sure I never fell for the same thing. But I always had this strange relationship alcohol where I, I like to drink, I like to party, but it wasn't my number one. Unfortunately, my number one was always went back to food and I had eating issues most of my life. I mean, probably started my first diet at 11. That was always my primary focus. And in some ways, you know, I think that actually kept me from developing a drinking problem earlier than I did. Mm. But, you know, it's choosing between two evils. Right. Uh, preferably, I would have neither as a problem, but that was not an option. Uh, and when I became a mom and my food issues almost virtually disappeared uh, because my energy just went down so much, my primary focus was uh, having energy and being able to be with my kids and do all the things with them. But as you probably know, you know, early motherhood energy is a currency. You don't get right. much of it. It's hard. It's exhausting. I went through postpartum anxiety and depression with both my children. And I turned to alcohol at that point to really self-medicate, thinking this is what most mothers do. You know, I saw mommy wine culture all around me. I saw the jokes. I wanted to be in on the joke for better or worse. And I did start relying on alcohol to cope as a crutch, you know, to have something to look forward to at the end of these really long, exhausting days. My problem was, and it's the problem for a lot of women, I first stopped at one. Right. I think in the early days, I stopped at one because I was, I was trying to find this new relationship with alcohol now that I'm a mother. And I was breastfeeding and I was trying to figure out the ins and outs of what I can do and not do. But anybody who has a toxic relationship with alcohol knows it starts at one, it works its way up. It never works its way down. <laughs> right. That's something a lot of people start to realize. Alcoholism is a progressive disease. And over time, you need more to have the same effects. So yeah. even though I was turning to two, three, and then eventually four drinks a night, I was having the same buzz as I used to at once. So it felt like I was in control. Yeah. And I think that's how I tricked myself into going, it's okay. It's safe. I know it looks like a lot, but it doesn't feel like a lot. And that's where, you know, addiction can get really darn tricky and really mess with our heads. And it certainly did for me, even though I saw what addiction did to my dad. I yeah. had firsthand experience seeing the impact drinking too much can have on a family. And yet I was able to fool myself for a really long time into thinking I was the exception. I could moderate. I could figure this out. And it all came to a head about five and a half years ago where I, I essentially just got sick and tired of my own BS, but also I had a panic attack. Anybody who drinks a lot knows your anxiety spikes when you're drinking. Yeah. And it's really bad for people who already have anxiety issues. And I mean, it was for me. Absolutely. So once I had that panic attack, I kind of had this moment where I was like, is this the direction I want to go? Because if I keep going this direction, I will end up just like my father. And that's not the life I want to live. And that was five and a half years ago. And I've never looked back since. Wow. That's amazing. Congrats to you. Thank you. Um, I think so many moms, I know myself, I'm listening to you and, you know, it's 
it's so relatable. Like the culture of thinking, you know, being in on the joke, like you said, it makes it feel like it's acceptable. Like, oh my gosh, yep, I'm pouring a glass of wine at, at the end of the day. I've been a stay-at-home mom for the last few years. And, you know, it feels like this reward at the end of the day. I'm like, oh, I did it. I have something to look forward to. I can relax. I can pour a glass of wine. But like you said, one turns into two, two turns into three, and it doesn't feel like a problem because how you're feeling isn't changing. I'm just like, I'm fine. Like I've got this buzz going and that's just my routine. That's what I do. But yeah, I have anxiety as well. And it, it doesn't help. And I've gone in waves like of feeling like, okay, I need to knock this off, you know, and there's always an excuse too. And I'm sure other moms come up with it like, oh, this is like the busy season or whatever. Oh, it's summer. The kids are home all the time, like whatever. But it's a lot more than that. And I think talking about it is really awesome because it oddly feels acceptable when you're a mom for whatever reason, um, just because of all the language surrounding it. So that's really interesting. And I think for people who don't, like, I don't know anyone personally who suffers from alcoholism. So I don't even have that as like a, a guide. So I'm sure there's a lot of moms out there who are in the same situation and don't even realize that it's affecting them as much as it is. I think that's part of what made it so scary, too, was I didn't know anybody else who didn't drink. So to now pave this path when all my friends were drinkers and they drank like I did. That's why we were probably friends (laughs) for so long. Yeah. And to be like, now I'm going to be on this new path. I don't know anybody who's paving this path. I'm on my own and I'm feeling so isolated in motherhood. It's just a double whammy. So when I got sober and started writing about my sober experience, I started meeting people, people who were sober, who were sober moms, and just being able to have friends, even in the virtual space, that also get it, that know where you're at, that know what it's like, that's been where you've been. It's so empowering. And that is the gift we have through social media and through sober spaces that we didn't have even just five years ago. So it's a great time to be sober curious. It's a great time to rethink the relationship with alcohol. Yeah, absolutely. And I think along with that, I've noticed too, there's so many more options now for like non-alcoholic beverages. I mean, you can almost go to any brewery now and a lot of them are offering like a non-alcoholic option. And everyone's, I think, becoming a little more aware because I remember the first time I was pregnant, it was like, here's an O'Doul's if you want to have a drink. And then you just felt weird. Like you're surrounded by... A lot of times people who are just socially drinking all the time, that's me. That's my friends. We've been friends since college and longer than college. And same thing, the drinking culture in college is a whole nother, you know, party scene. Um, And it's like, it doesn't always just turn off when you become a mom. If anything, it's just becomes a crutch for, you know, one thing or another. But yeah, it is really cool to see that it's, it's being talked about more. And talking about that, I mean, you started Sober Mom Squad. Tell me a little bit about what that is. Yeah, so I'm actually a founding host. Emily Paulson started. She's the founder. Okay. But I've been hosting it since day one. We started this community uh, out of the pandemic. Uh, It was, you know, we talk about pandemic puppies. This is a pandemic baby that was born uh, out of the need, which was mother's uh, in recovery or who started drinking too much, especially when the pandemic hit, many women started drinking too much, as we see from stats that are starting to come out now. Uh, or many people started to develop drinking problem around this time. And anyone who's a mother at this time knows why. I mean, there's no yeah. surprise there. I mean, just look at what happened when the kids were sent back from school. 
everything shut down, even recovery meetings shut down. So people in recovery, they were just kind of screwed. They had no other options. But, you know, one thing that never shut down, liquor stores. Not only did liquor stores not shut down, they increased their service offerings. Now they're offering drive-through and delivery. Uh, and it, it was such a struggle for anybody who was trying to navigate recovery. Um, and the isolation that already came with the pandemic, the fear, it was very triggering for a lot of people. And if you were on social media at the time, you saw a lot of people were joking about needing alcohol, a pandemic punch, quarantinis, like this is how yeah. we're going to get through it. You know, there would be grocery stores that would say, get your homeschooling supplies here. And what are they pointing to? The wine aisle. <laughs> right, right. So it was everywhere. It was all over. And Emily saw this need. She's like, we need a safe space for mothers now more than ever. We need moms to know that there's sober support if they need it. And so these meetings started like in March or April of 2020, right from the beginning. And every week it was, it's open to anybody. It's still, we still have them. I still host them every cool. Wednesday. It's open to anyone who identifies as a mom and is living or exploring an alcohol-free life. And since then, Emily's expanded it to offer an app, to offer three to six meetings a day, to offer ways for communities to meet up geographically so you can find sober mom friends near you. It's turned from a safe space into a safe community. And I'm so grateful to be part of it, not just as a host, but it has completely contributed to my own sobriety. Because prior to Sober Mom Squad, I had never been to a meeting. I had never gone to a recovery meeting at all. So it was new territory to me. But now that I've seen it for myself and experienced it, I would not recommend being in recovery or doing a sober journey without a community if you don't have to. And you don't. In 2023, you don't have to do this alone. And it's just been such an amazing place and space for anybody who just wants to know that they're not the only person out there who's got a toxic relationship with alcohol and needs to make some changes. Let's take a quick break. The heart behind the I'm on podcast is storytelling because every mom has a story to tell. I know that when I talk to my friends who are parenting and we share stories, we all end up feeling less alone and more capable of loving our kids well. You can find information everywhere on the internet. Some is bad parenting advice and some is pretty wise. We like to think there's a lot of wisdom on imom.com. And when you combine that signature wisdom with a great story, it brings parenting to life. We want a mom who's listening to see herself and her kids in these stories and rest in the confidence that she is the perfect mom for her kids. Check out the I'm on podcast with new episodes every Monday. Yeah, that is so great. That is so cool that that is out there and available because if we learned anything in the pandemic, it's that that we know that we need a community. We know we need people. Being isolated was not helpful in any regard of our lives. So yeah, having something like this, especially as a mom and a busy mom, like being able to get online and have this kind of support and meetings and all that is really cool. So I guess I'm curious, how does this fall on women with this like mommy wine culture? Tell me a little bit more about that, because I definitely fit in this category. And I know half of my mom friends do as well. But to dive into it a little bit more now that we're talking about it, that it's like a problem. What's the real issue behind all of this? Yeah, you know, I think mommy wine culture is a symptom of a larger issue. 
And it's a lack of support from others. I mean, we are in this really strange place and time where it's 2023. Many people in my generation have grown up believing, like, let's break glass rings, ladies. Let's change the world. We can be working moms now, can have it all and do it all. But we are still stuck in a home front with these gendered norms of household labor, that the woman in a traditional family is in charge of the household and rearing children, even if she's going back to work. So we are in a very strange time where the traditional roles on the home front have not caught up with the new role of many mothers wanting to return to work. And we do not see an equitable distribution of labor on the home front. Uh, For the most part, it's getting better than it did 50 years ago. We still have a heck of a long way to go. So that's one of them. Uh, The second thing is we are lacking postpartum support that we really need uh, for mothers. You know, as soon as the baby's born, all of a sudden, you know, the the baby is the exciting, uh, wonderful thing where all the focus goes as it should, but the mother often feels disregarded or left out. Checkups generally focus on the baby and not the mother's mental well-being and whatnot. It can leave mothers, especially moms who are more likely to fall into anxiety and depression, it can leave them feeling alone or afraid, to be honest, because what if the doctor judges me or thinks I'm a bad mom? Uh, I don't want to let on how much I'm struggling. It puts them in kind of a precarious situation where they don't want to be upfront about maybe some of the struggles they're facing that the doctor can genuinely help with. I also think when you look at the corporate world, the lack of benefits we have for mothers and fathers too. But I'm thinking like maternity leave. We don't have federal paid maternity leave in the U.S. And we're one of the only countries in the world that doesn't. Oh, that is wild. It's wild. It's sad. It's frustrating. Many women, myself included, return to work after six weeks. And that's just not enough time. Like you look at attachment theory, you look at psychology, that is not enough time for the mothers, for the children, and for the fathers too. And um, so we just don't have the corporate work structure that we need to be able to thrive, nor do we have the flexibility at work for an ongoing, stable way for mothers to continue to work in the workplace while still carrying a very important role of raising their children. It's just, yes. it's just not there. And it's frustrating for many women, myself included, who just said, you know what, I can't continue to work in corporate America because they won't work with me. Yeah. Um, and I'm privileged in that I was able to quit my corporate job last year and now I'm home and I work from home doing my own thing. Most women can't do that. Most yeah. women don't have that privilege to just be like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to quit my job. So yeah. we need to make some huge changes systemically to be more supportive of mothers so we can build more of this community and village concept that got abandoned years ago. And it has left mothers making jokes about needing alcohol to cope in a situation where alcohol will do nothing to help. <laughs> right. Not, not these problems. I mean, alcohol yeah. might, might feel good for 20 minutes or so, but these are much bigger problems at play than what we're making jokes about needing alcohol to fix. 
And I think it was an easy way for us to make light or shift frustrations away from some of the, the bigger issues, but it's a dangerous message. And it's a harmful message yeah. for mothers, for children. And what we really need, mommy doesn't need wine. M- mommy needs systemic changes and changes on the home front. I completely agree. And it's so interesting how this mommy wine culture, it just, all it does is distract from all the women out there who are struggling and carrying the mental, physical load, like they're doing all the things. And it's kind of gotten to a point, I feel like, where you're just praised for being like, oh, wow, you work and you've got kids and you do this and you do that. And you're like, well, I don't, I feel like I don't have a choice. Like no one else is helping me. And you're right. The phrase, it takes a village is definitely gotten lost along the way. You know, even with talking with my mom, when I'm talking about other mom groups and and this and that that I'm doing, she's like, oh, well, I just, I would just like send you to the neighbor's house or I'd pick up their kids or we'd do that. You know, like it was such a team effort back in the day. And now it is just, I mean, drowning. And like you said, getting back to women in the workforce, the division of labor and everything that goes on at home is a new shift too that has to take place because you can't do both. It's awesome that women are wanting to go back to work and it is really hard. You know, I've experienced both ends of it. I've worked full-time, I've worked part-time, I've been a stay-at-home mom, but it's really intimidating to try and even make the shift to go back into the work world because I realize how much I do at home. I'm like, how is this even going to balance out? So it makes total sense to me that that is an underlying issue for most women because yeah, wine is not the answer. It is not going to help. If anything, in my experience, it has increased my anxiety a thousand percent. And I think I'm relaxing or, you know, rewarding myself at the end of the day. But the next day is definitely, definitely not how that feels. So going back to kind of like, you know, a village and friends and things, when you decided to become sober and quit drinking, how did that affect your relationships with your friend circles and everyone around you? Were you open about it? Or is it just something you kind of did under the radar? What, What did that look like for you? Yeah. If I could go back and do it all over again, I would do it very differently. Um, but I, I didn't know what I know now. You know, when I first quit drinking, I did not tell anybody, you know, I told my husband and my mom and that was it. Yeah. It was like, this is top secret. This is a source of shame. Nobody can know. So I, I led everyone on under this guise that nothing's changed when in the back of my mind, you know, I was, just going through complete mental gymnastics of how to keep this, the lie up, essentially. Yeah. Which is ridiculous. Like, honestly, I was, I was putting myself through so much stress and strain that was not necessary. But at the time in that first year, I was just so ashamed. Like, I just felt so angry that I felt like I had lost my seat at the adulting table. And now I was doomed to kids table for the rest of my life. That's what it felt like in every aspect. And I just didn't want people to know. And of course, after I reached a a year sober and started to really lean into the benefits and the incredible things that were happening to not just my physical health, my mental health, my relationships, like everything was getting better. And I was like, this is the direction I want to go forever. Yeah. Um, I started being more vocal about it and I started writing about it. I started telling people, no, I don't want to drink. I don't drink anymore. You know, I just kind of owning it. And it was very freeing. All my worries with people going, what? You don't drink? Why? Yeah. Those didn't happen. <laughs> people didn't care. Like, yeah. 
Nobody wanted to know. I mean, maybe one or two people. Most people could not care less that I declined to drink. Yeah. Uh, and it was fascinating to me because for me, it was such a big deal because for me, it was such a big deal. Alcohol had always been such a big deal to me. And I was always a little bit obsessed over um, when will I get my next drink? How much can I drink? How much can I drink without getting away with the fact that I'm overindulging? And most people right. don't think that way. So when I was declining their drink, they were like, okay, cool. And yeah. whereas for me, I had always just assumed that the minute I start saying no, people were going to go there and want to know my whole story. What's my rock bottom? Uh, what's wrong with me? You know, all these things. And that just did not happen for the most part. And the people that genuinely did want to dig in and they wanted the juicy details, they were either people who also had drinking problems themselves. Right, right. Or um, they were just really close friends. And we just always had that kind of relationship where we went there in the conversations anyway. Um, so yeah. it was an awesome thing to experience that it really wasn't as bad as I thought it would be, you know, having these conversations with people and that for the most part, most people genuinely don't care either way. It felt good to own it. I wish going back, I could have gotten there sooner. It would have been a lot easier on yeah. my own anxiety. Um, but I, I guess I just needed more time to get to that place where I was not ashamed of calling myself out as a non-drinker. That makes total sense. I can see why you would feel that way. But like you said, it's it's got to feel good once it was out. And just like anxiety is thinking you know what to expect. And then it's not like all build up and worry. And I would have felt the same way. But now that we're adults, and especially I feel like in the mom community, I don't think anyone in my life would turn to me and be like, oh my gosh, you're not going to drink. Like it's not college. It's not like I feel like in college, people would be right. like, oh my gosh, really? You're so lame or whatever. It's like, we're adults, we're mothers. Like you said, your mental health, your physical health, I'm sure you were happier. Like all of the things, the ripple effect of being sober. So for anyone listening who might be struggling to do the same thing, you know, it's it's going to feel good and the people around you will notice that. I, yeah, I um, think it's something that, you know, not only would people notice, but they're going to want to know your secret, like in the yeah. best way. Like, why are you glowing? Tell me. Like, mm -hmm. I, I, I want to know because I want a piece of that too. And, you know, I do think that culturally the conversation has changed even in just the past five years, too, that sober curiosity yeah. is getting more attention. Uh, dry January. I mean, these conversations are coming up more and more. So yeah. being more open about saying, no, I'm not drinking right now or no, I'm picking a month off or no, I'm just taking a break uh, doesn't bring up this gag reflex from people like, yeah, oh, you must have a problem. Yeah. And that's a good thing. Like, that's a really good thing. I think we are definitely culturally headed the right direction. There's still more work to, to go, but I love the place where we're at that somebody declining a drink or saying I'm doing sober October doesn't get the kind of reaction that maybe you would have gotten five or 10 years ago. Right. Right. And I think even in motherhood and in that community, people are as like crazy with if you're not having a drink like oh you must be pregnant you must be pregnant because I feel like that was always stressful I mean as someone who struggled with infertility I'm like I don't want someone asking me thinking I'm pregnant so I'm like I'll just have a drink so everyone shuts up like yeah. kind of thing but it's cool to see that you know culture is changing a little bit surrounding that everything that you're doing in regards to why moms and why women are doing this in the first place and turning to alcohol 
I think is the next part that really needs to be worked on. So for anyone listening who would want to start a sober journey and kind of get into that, they're like, you know what, this sounds like me and I am tired of doing this. What would you tell someone? How do you even begin? Yeah, I would say if somebody is ready to start or even just curious, I would first ask them if they need to medically detox off alcohol, because if you do, you have to talk to your doctor. Yeah, it can be fatal to just quit cold turkey if you are medically addicted to alcohol. Most people are not. And if you're someone like me who is a gray area drinker who could go days without drinking, uh, just didn't want to. Yeah, Um, Yeah. For people like that or people who just are ready to take a break, I would say just start with a break. Start with 30 days. Take 30 days off. And this 30 days is going to give you some really critical information. At the end of 30 days, you're going to be able to collect data. Was my sleep better? Did my energy increase? Did my skin look better? I mean, a lot of visible changes you'll be able to see as early as 30 days. And you can take note of that. I would also say just to find a sober community. There are so many sober communities out there for whatever your relationship is with alcohol, whether you're sober curious, whether you are a sober mom or you want to be a sober mom. Uh, if you're a gray area drinker, if you're looking for a moderation group, I mean, there is a group for you. And like I said before, I think my biggest regret I have in my early sobriety is I didn't find a community sooner because motherhood's lonely as it is. To have that group around you that you can connect with just over Zoom, just over an app, whatever it is, to be able to say, I'm struggling today or I'm triggered right now. Or how did you get through X, Y, Z? It makes all the difference in the world because when you are in those early days, it can feel like you're the only person who's doing this and you're not. Yeah, And you get to connect with those other people who are right in the middle doing the exact same thing as you. And it's really empowering and also builds some accountability too. So I, I would say start there. And then my last suggestion would be in those early days in the first week or so to shake up your routine. And it's five o'clock is when you normally grab that glass or that beer, whatever it is. Um, try to do something so you're out of the house at that time. Go for a walk, get your kids out, whatever it is to mix up the normal schedule and just kind of yeah. shake yourself out of what would be a habit. But yeah, those are some early ways to get started. There are so many 30-day groups or programs you can Google if you want to go with a group, but it's as easy as saying, I'm going to do sober October. I'm going to do dry January and just starting there. Like you mentioned, so much of it is just habitual. Like it's just something you've baked into your everyday routine. And, you know, just like exercise challenges, it's the same thing. You just got to start and like have a plan, I think, and stick to it. I'm really happy that you mentioned gray area drinking. I have never heard that term before until I was on your Instagram and I was like, wow, that's a very relatable term because I think so often, you know, many people think like, I don't have a problem. Like, I don't have to drink. I'm not addicted. I cannot drink for this week or whatever. But it's like, no, but you want to and and you end up doing it. And what's the why behind that? Because I I think a lot of people probably don't think that they have a problem because of that kind of like gray area. So happy that you mentioned that. This is also very helpful. I think I read 80% of drinkers are gray area drinkers. And I find that fascinating. But I also like it makes sense to me. And, you know, what I 
distinguish as a gray area drinker is somebody who is in between like a light drinker, somebody who only drinks one or two times a week or a month, like Mm -hmm. very sporadic and somebody who is addicted to alcohol. So it's in between that and it's a spectrum, right? It's going to be anything between moderate drinking, which is, uh, I think two drinks a day for women at this point. And anything in between, I think for me and why being a gray area drinker was so problematic is some days I could have one or two drinks and it was fine. Yeah. Some days I didn't drink at all. Other days I would have a drink and it would just light this fuse in me and I wanted to get drunk and I never knew which way it was going to go. So that's, that's the danger of it. And that's the scary part because when you're a parent, you can't just tap out for the night like you could when you're in your younger years and you don't have dependence. So it's a really scary place to be uh, when you are a parent and you've got children relying on you. And that, I think that was one of the main reasons where when I got to that place in motherhood, I was like, I have to do something about this right now. Yeah. When you were going through all of this, do you mind me asking just because I'm thinking of myself and I know anyone else, you know, who has a husband or a partner, did your husband still drink? Were you on this journey alone? Did it something you did together? I know everyone's going to have a different way of doing things. Yeah, this is like probably the biggest question I get asked from the sober mom community. Uh, What do I do if I'm going to quit, but my husband still drinks or my partner is still a drinker? Or a lot of times my partner doesn't support me quitting. That one I hear a lot too. I quit and I tried to make it such a non-issue. Like I'm just doing this and let's not talk about it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Again, another thing I regret doing that my husband had no idea that it was such a big problem that he needed to support me at all. So he went on living his regular life. He drank when he wanted to drink. We kept beer in the house. I mean, all these things that made my sober journey harder. Yeah. But that by not being honest with him, I was making my sober journey harder. And he would have been so supportive if I was just, if I just told him the truth, like, this is a problem. I'm scared. Can we just keep alcohol at the house? He might have even joined me on it um, just to be supportive. I don't know. I never gave him that opportunity because I, I tried to downplay it as much as possible. And I just made that harder for everybody. But you know, what I know now is when somebody is looking to quit drinking and they have a partner that's either unsupportive or has no plans to quit drinking with them, the, the important thing to do is to not to preach to them. You're not trying to get them to do what you're doing. They're their own person. They're going to do whatever they want, but maybe establishing some boundaries of what you are comfortable with and what you're not, which could look like, let's have a discussion about alcohol in the house or you getting drunk around me. And if you do get drunk around me, this is what I'm going to do or not do. If you're going to keep alcohol in the house, can we make a plan about where you keep it? Can you keep it in the garage so it's not in my face in the kitchen every day? I mean, just having those conversations will make your sober journey so much easier. And most partners want to be supportive. Yeah. If you don't, but most yeah. do. And, you know, what I always say, so my my husband, he's been nothing but supportive, but there have been times where he's like, I miss my drinking buddy because we fell in love and got married drinking alcohol together. I right. mean, a lot of yeah. people date and fall in love with a glass of wine in front of them for most mm-hmm. of your your experiences. And what I like to remember and what I tell people in my sober mom community 
is my husband might have lost his drinking partner, but we would be in a heck of a worse place right now, five years deeper in my drinking story. I can't even imagine what a toxic place we would be in our relationship than if I was sober and setting a stronger foundation for my own health. So if him losing his drinking buddy is the worst thing that happened out of me quitting, we are in a pretty good place because our relationship's healthier than it's ever been. That's amazing. That is really good advice. I'm thinking of my husband and I, it's like, obviously we met, you know, young in our twenties on dates and that's just what we would do. We would get drinks. We would go out with friends and we did other things, of course. But then the last few years, like when the pandemic hit and we weren't going anywhere, that was like our routine. That was what we did together. That was the fun we had at home. So it's definitely a shift. But like you said, you lost your drinking buddy, but you can put a new habit in its place now right. with your partner, find a new activity or something. But it, it was top of mind for me because I know my husband and I have been like, especially with this summer, we've had a lot of vacations and family barbecues and things going on and everything's been really busy. And we're like, okay, we're not drinking at all this week. Like we'll both like swear it off. And then, you know, one of us will have a hard day and he'll like pour a glass of wine with our dinner. And I'm like, oh, okay, like I'll destroy yeah. you, like whatever. But we both kind of go back and forth with, supporting each other but and, and I feel like you know every relationship's different but I just think unless we were both like on board with this it feels really difficult but I think the other point of that is too is like there hasn't been a conversation about how bad it might feel at certain times with the drinking it's just been more surface level like okay I'm exhausted or I need to lose weight let's just cut out the drinks or whatever it is so it sounds like those conversations would be helpful to have too so you don't have to go on that journey alone I have to imagine that if you were able to do it as a 30-day challenge together, it would not only bring you closer together, but it would help you be more likely to succeed. But I also must say that if you know in your heart this is something you need to do for yourself, don't let your partner not being on board stop you. I I, I guess I see it both ways because our partner has such a major influence in the so many ways, like you describe of our habits and why we do what we do or why we, you know, make a decision that we're going to do something and then we cave to something else. Yeah. But if you can establish those rules up in advance, like I've heard people say, I had to tell my husband to stop offering me drinks. Like mm-hmm. when he poured himself a drink to don't offer me one because when he did, I always cave. But when he doesn't mention it, when he doesn't pour me one, um, that helps. But our partners don't know what's going to trigger us if we yeah. don't have that communication right from the get go. And it's important to be open about it. Or you could do what I did and just white knuckle every single freaking thing and be miserable yeah. for 30 days. It's up to you. <laughs> Either way, right? Either way, whatever's going to work is going to work. And yeah, that's really great. That's really great advice. This has been so helpful and eye-opening to me. And I'm so glad that you are talking about this on on such a public level too. Obviously, you've got your Instagram account, which I love following. It kind of gives like the confidence that I feel like people following your Instagram account might need to take this next step because it is not often talked about. And this is what we love to do here on this podcast is I love to talk about all the aspects of motherhood that just kind of like go behind the highlight reel. You know, no one's posting their photos of their sober journey, of course. And so I think it's really cool that we can talk about it. And I I think it's this week that your 
book comes out, right? It's called It's Not About the Wine. Tell me what propelled you to, I mean, obviously, I know your story and everything that you're doing, but what made you take the leap to write this book and put it out into the world? I think the thought was so many women, so many mothers have fallen into this alcohol trap with mommy wine culture. It's been so fed into our culture that you can now buy the t-shirt at Target. You can get the onesies on Etsy, you know, all the things that really have impacted this increase in drinking for women to this dangerous point where more women are dying due to alcohol-related deaths than ever before. More women are going to the ER for alcohol-related injuries than ever before. And my thought was, I want to call this out and I want to explain the problem with the message, but what I need to find out and what all mothers who are falling into this alcohol trap need to know is how to cope with some of these biggest stressors without alcohol. Like I can't just call the problem out without finding solutions. So that was really the premise behind the book. I know that the mental load of motherhood, I know that these systemic issues are what has gotten us to this place where we're joking about mommy needing wine, but what do we do about it? How do we fix this? So That's how the whole book concept kind of came together and became what it was. And my hope in this book, besides teaching mothers coping mechanisms that aren't alcohol related, is to teach people that do realize that they need to get to a sober place, that sobriety isn't deprivation. It is liberation in every aspect. And if you abstain from drinking, you will find so much beauty and joy in your life. And that's just not a message that I was hearing when I quit. I think that's why I had so much shame and frustration in those early days, because I thought I had lost in so many aspects. But what I'm realizing now and what I realized after that first year sober was in so many aspects, I'm winning, I'm gaining. And that's the message I want people to know who are thinking that maybe alcohol-free is the direction they need to go, that it's not a bad way to go. It's it's a wonderful yeah. way to go. <laughs> yeah, that's a really good point. It is not a punishment. It is supposed yes. to enhance your life and it, and it will be so great. Exactly. Well, I am so glad that you put that out in the world because I, I can't wait to read it and I'm going to be telling every mom I know about it. <laughs> Thank you so much for being on the podcast today. This was so helpful and it was just a pleasure talking to you and hearing your story. Oh, you're wonderful. I'm so glad to talk to you too. And thank you for having me. Thanks for tuning in today. If you found value in this episode, please leave a review for the podcast. Let me know what you love about the show. If you have any suggestions for topic ideas or guests, please feel free to write that in there. I read every single review and I really want to produce content that is valuable to listeners. And before you go, be sure to check out the show notes. In there, I have links where you can connect with Celeste, easily leave a review for the podcast, join the Motherhood Intended community group on Facebook, follow Motherhood Intended on Instagram, and a couple bonuses in there. Looking to streamline your dinner plans? If you are a busy mom like myself, you are going to love every plate. Tap the link in the show notes and you'll get $105 off your first few boxes with every plate. I can honestly say that I have been using them now for maybe three weeks and I am a fan. And that's coming from someone who has used multiple different meal delivery plans. Like this one has literally been my favorite. The recipes are easy and the best part is like they're easy to replicate. So I have kept the recipe cards. So if and when I want to, I can definitely reproduce these recipes at home. 
So click the link in the show notes. You'll get $105 off your first few boxes with every plate. And if you're feeling the struggle between work life and family life, and it's a constant battle to find balance, swap out your nine to five with a flexible, financially stable, and more fulfilling life by clicking the link in the show notes to be connected with Michaela Quinn. She is like the queen of freelancing, and she is here to help you replace your full-time income by working less hours, all with flexibility and being able to be there for your family. So click that link and get connected with Michaela today. Tune in next week. I'll be chatting with Patricia Lowen, who is a renowned international feng shui expert with a passion for empowering families to create a harmonious and successful environments for their children and themselves. You always see on social media how moms can unclutter and get organized and buy different organizational bins. But I promise you this conversation is going to be a fresh take on bringing positive vibes and positive energy into your home. You'll learn how to enhance your children's bedrooms for better sleep, their studying environments for academic success. You can promote positive energy flow and foster a sense of calm, balance, and well-being in your home. You won't want to miss it. I hope you all enjoy your weekend and you'll hear from me again next week.